the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through John. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Try to picture it as like a cluster of grapes. There are nine grapes in one cluster, and all of it is supposed to be exemplified in the life of a believer. So take personal inventory and think in your own life. How well are you doing with the fruit of the Spirit? What does love look like in your life? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Are there any areas in your life where we could all stand to be a little bit more fruitful. In today's message, Pastor Gary will share with you about the fruits of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third part of the Trinity, and it acts as a helper for all Christians. Not only does the Holy Spirit provide help, it also provides gifts. Each person who accepts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior has a gift or many gifts from the Holy Spirit. So what are the gifts? The gifts are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Which gift have you been given? At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of John, chapter 15, as he begins his message, I am the true vine. All right, let's open our Bibles to John, chapter 15. We are concluding today our series, Jesus is the I Am. We're looking at the last of the seven statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John when he asserts his divinity, that he is God. Whenever he talks about how he is the I am, and he uses the same language that God did when God spoke to Moses from the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, identifying himself as the I am. And then what Jesus does in the Gospel of John is he attaches different metaphors to these seven I am statements so that we would understand how God relates to humanity. And so this being the last of the seven, let me just run through the list again. Those of you who have been with us for the last few weeks, you are familiar with the list, but here it is nevertheless. Jesus said this, number one, I am the bread of life. Number two, I am the light of the world. Number three, I am the door of the sheep. Number four, I am the good shepherd. Number five, I am the resurrection and the life. Number six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And number seven, I am the true vine. And that's what we're going to be looking at today from John chapter 15, the seventh and the final I am statement. Jesus says, I am the true vine. So I'm going to read here from John chapter 15, first eight verses, Jesus speaking here. This is what he says. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. 
and every branch that bears fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so that you will be my disciples. Well, we're looking at this story here, the last of the seven I Am statements from John chapter 15, and I need to give you the context uh, in which Jesus speaks these words. And so at the end of chapter 14 of John, the last verse, last sentence, Jesus says, Arise, let us go from here. And so chapter 14 ends by telling us that they left where they were. Where were they? Well, in this section of the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus has just finished what is commonly known as the Last Supper with his disciples. He has just concluded the final Passover meal that he will enjoy with his disciples before he is crucified. And so chapter 14 ends by telling us that Jesus says, let us arise and go. They leave the upper room in the city of Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us in the rest of the gospel accounts that they will make their way from the city of Jerusalem down over the Kidron Valley up to the Mount of Olives where they will find lodging during the night therein, specifically the Garden of Gethsemane. And it'll be just a few hours from the point of this story when Judas will return with a band of Roman soldiers, and they will arrest Jesus, and the process of his kangaroo court, the mock trials, and his ultimate crucifixion is about to begin. And so that's the context here. In in John chapter 15, as we read this account, Jesus is basically giving his last teaching to his disciples before he is crucified. And as they leave the city of Jerusalem on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, it is believed that perhaps they pass by a vineyard. Jesus is always using real-life examples to serve as illustrations for his, for his teachings. And he could have just drawn this illustration out of thin air, but it's likely that on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, they pass a vineyard. And he uses the opportunity to teach them what he does here in John chapter 15. Now, if it wasn't that they passed by a vineyard, there's another possibility. Josephus, the first century Roman historian, who was a Jew himself, writes in his account of antiquities that there was a golden vine that adorned the pillars of the entrance to the temple there in Jerusalem. And even the historian Tacitus picks up on that. He writes about it briefly, too. And so it could be that Jesus, as he passed with his disciples out of the city of Jerusalem on their way to the Mount of Olives, that they may have passed by the entrance of the temple where they would have seen these golden vines adorning the pillars to the entrance of the temple. It doesn't really matter other than perhaps that's what Jesus was pointing to, perhaps a vineyard they passed through, perhaps Jesus out of thin air decided to give this illustration. But 
the disciples would have been very well acquainted with the illustration of a vineyard. Because in the Old Testament, historically, Israel was known as the vine. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but it's just to say that they would have been familiar with this terminology. Jesus is drawing on an illustration of a vineyard. It was common in Jesus' day. It's common in our day. Loudoun County is full of vineyards. And Jesus uses this as a natural analogy. He talks here about the elements of the vine. He talks about the branches. He talks about the vine dresser, otherwise known as the gardener. And the ultimate point of this story here in John chapter 15 is found in verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So here's the main point of this illustration. Jesus wants us to be fruitful as his disciples. Jesus wants us to be fruitful as his disciples. Now, what exactly does it mean to be fruitful as a follower of Christ? That's one question. And secondly, how do we get there? How do we become fruitful? And so first, what does it mean to be fruitful as a follower of Christ? Well, Paul gives us a list in Galatians chapter 5 about the fruit of the Spirit. And there are nine things that he mentions there in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. In other words, Paul ends that section by saying there's no limitation on these qualities. There's no restriction on these qualities. We should have an abundance of the fruit of the Spirit. And by the way, it is literally the fruit of the Spirit, not fruits. The way that it is written in the language indicates that this is to be accepted and understood as one cluster of fruit. In other words, it's not that Christians can say, well, I have a little bit of the fruit of the Spirit, but not all of the fruit of the Spirit, and that's okay. God expects us to demonstrate, to exemplify all of the fruit of the Spirit as a singular thing. So try to picture it as like a cluster of grapes. There are nine grapes in one cluster, and all of it is supposed to be exemplified in the life of a believer. So take personal inventory and think in your own life. How well are you doing with the fruit of the Spirit? What does love look like in your life? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Are there any areas in your life where we could all stand to be a little bit more fruitful? And so, how do we get there? How do we become more fruitful? How do these qualities become uh, more recognized in our lives? Well, in the analogy here in John chapter 15, Jesus speaks about how He is the vine, we are the branches, and God the Father is the vine dresser or the gardener. And he starts out there in verse 1 by saying, I am the true vine. Now, he probably means true in the sense of faithful, not in the sense of the opposite of false, just that he is faithful and true. And the reason why he probably means it that way is because, again, the disciples would have recognized the analogy. Israel was compared and called the vine of the, of the Lord in the Old Testament. In Psalm chapter 80, in Isaiah chapter 5, and let me just explain a little bit from Isaiah chapter 5. There was a rebuke there to the nation of Israel in Isaiah 5, where Isaiah talks about how 
God planted a vineyard, and he tended that vineyard, and he cared for that vineyard, and he loved that vineyard. But then when the vineyard produced grapes, they were wild grapes. And so because of it, God took away the hedges. He took away the protection. And others came and plundered the vineyard and plucked the grapes. And then God says in Isaiah 5 verse 7, at the end of this illustration, in Isaiah 5 7, for the vineyard of the Lord of, uh, of hosts is the house of Israel. And so it was a rebuke. God was saying to the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament that God loved Israel, planted Israel, took care of Israel, attended Israel in every way, provided for Israel. But Israel decided to become like wild grapes, doing their own thing, rebelling against God. And so God took down the protection and he allowed other nations to come and to plunder Israel and to pluck the grapes, if you will. And so the disciples of Jesus would have been very familiar with the fact that up until this point, the vine was a reference to the nation of Israel in her rebellion against God. So Jesus comes along and he says, I am the true vine. I am the faithful one. Unlike unfaithful Israel, Jesus is saying, I am the faithful vine. And you, he says, are the branches. And so Jesus, asserting himself here now as the true vine, is looking for followers who are likewise faithful and true. Jesus is saying, unlike unfaithful Israel, I am faithful and I'm looking for followers who will likewise be faithful and true. And then he adds again, verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so that you will be my disciples. And so again, goes back to the second question, how do we become more fruitful? How do we become more fruitful? Well, if you're taking notes, I got three things from this text. And the first one is we become more fruitful, number one, when we abide in Christ. When we abide in Christ. In verse 4, it says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Over and over again, the word abide is used. In fact, 10 times just in John chapter 15 is the word abide used. And it basically means to remain, to stay in fellowship, to stay in close relationship in communion with God. He calls us to abide in Him. And when we remain in close fellowship with Him, we will be fruitful. There is no fruitfulness apart from Christ. We will only exemplify the character of Christ when we are connected to Christ. When Jesus dominates my life, I demonstrate His qualities and His character. When my flesh dominates my life, I demonstrate my qualities and my character, which aren't good at all. In fact, Paul would say in Romans seven eighteen, for I know that in my flesh, in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Nothing good about us dwells. John the Baptist would say about fruitfulness in Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So that's key. The way I abide with Christ is to keep humbling myself and regularly repent of my own sinfulness so that I might adopt His fruitfulness. We have to always be coming clean with God and confessing our sin and getting right with Him. When I stay close to Jesus, 
When I abide in Christ, then fruitfulness will be natural. That's true for all of us. A repentant life will be a fruitful life. In verse 5 here in our text, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. In other words, he says, it'll be the natural result of abiding in him that we will bear much fruit. As long as I abide in Christ, I will be fruitful in Christ. It'll be as natural as the fruit produced by a fruit tree. You know, the branch on an apple tree will produce apples just by virtue of the fact that that branch is connected to the trunk. The same is true for pears. The same is true for peaches. The same is true for grapes. As long as that branch is connected to the trunk or to the vine, it will naturally produce fruit. And so it is when I am abiding with Christ, when we are close to Him, in relation with Him, walking with Him, humbling ourselves, repentive before Him, then we will bear fruit. Another way that we will become more fruitful, number two, is when we are lifted up by Christ. Now, let me show you where we see this. If you look at verses 1 and 2 again, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Other translations, I think NIV says, he cuts off. Now, before I explain uh, what this verse means, let me tell you what it does not mean, because verse 2 has created a lot of consternation among Christians who read this and think, if I'm not fruitful, he's going to cut me off, he's going to take me away, I'm going to end up in hell, all because I wasn't very fruitful. Okay, that's, that's not what this means. Verse 2 does not mean that if you aren't fruitful, that God is going to cut you off or take you away. There is a reference further down in this text about judgment. In verse 6, he says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Verse 6 is a veiled reference, maybe not so veiled, to judgment and the fire of hell, but it is in reference to those who are not abiding in Christ at all, to those who are not connected to him at all, to those who have rejected him and have no relationship with him at all. There will be judgment. But that's not what verse 2 is talking about. In verse 2, in the New King James, which is what I'm reading from, there is a footnote that the words, when Jesus says, every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away, or again, NIV says cuts off. The footnote tells us that takes away can be translated lifts up. It's from the Greek word aero, A-I-R-O, and aero literally means to lift up. Now, let me explain why it can mean that and, and how it fits better in regards to the way that in ancient times that they would grow vineyards. In ancient times, vineyards would grow along the ground. You know, today when you drive through parts of Loudoun County, or even some folks in our church have vineyards, you see very pristine, manicured vineyards where the vines are uh, trained to grow up over these trellises or over these wires or these, or these uh, lines. And so they're up off the ground and they grow that way. Not in ancient Israel. In ancient Israel, vines would grow along the ground. 
And then the vine dresser or the gardener would come along and at the places where it was starting to produce fruit, the vine dresser would place rocks underneath the branches to lift up the branches to get the fruit off of the ground so that then the fruit could grow in a more fruitful way. And if it, and if it weren't using rocks, sometimes they would take a branch and cut it like in the shape of a Y and use it like a stick to prop up underneath these branches so then the grapes could hang down and get them off the ground. Because if the grapes were on the ground, they were more subject to blight, to disease, to mildew, to insects. So they would come along and lift up these branches and get them up off of the ground. And so this is actually something very encouraging that that Jesus is saying to us here in verse 2. Not discouraging. The way a lot of Christians have been reading verse 2 all these years is that, you know, God's going to cut me off if I'm not fruitful enough and I'm going to hell if I'm not doing good things for him. Okay, listen, God is pleased by the good things we do to honor him and to serve him, but works works never get us to heaven. All right, And so this is a verse that when you look at the original Greek, aero, it really indicates the idea of how God comes along and lifts us up. When you're down, God lifts you up. It's pretty hard to be fruitful when you're down and discouraged. And so what does God do? In order to help us to be more fruitful, He comes alongside of us to lift us up when we're down. This is a beautiful verse here. God will come alongside of us and lift us up off of the ground. And I love this analogy because Jesus is telling us that the Father regularly inspects His vineyard to see where the branches are hanging low and that He comes alongside of us to lift us up so that we might be more fruitful for His glory. This is the kind of thing that David alluded to in Psalm chapter 3, verse 3, when he wrote this, But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. God is the lifter of our head. Now, when David wrote that in Psalm 3, you can refer later to Psalm 3. The subtitle to Psalm 3 talks about when he was fleeing from his son Absalom. There was a time in David's life where his son Absalom rebelled against David, tried to lead a coup to take over as king, and this just broke the heart of David. And David was grieved over what his son Absalom was trying to do. And he wrote Psalm 3 under that kind of grief. And it's a beautiful picture about how God is the lifter of our heads when we're downcast. Here David is. He's been betrayed by his own son, by his own son who's tried to usurp his his father's authority to take over the, the throne. And David writes Psalm 3 out of the anguish of that personal betrayal. And he talks here about how God is the lifter of his head. It's a picture as if God stoops down and cups David's face in his hands and lifts up his face so that his countenance might be lifted up instead of downcast. This is what God does with us. Psalm 3 verse 3 is a beautiful picture of how God will stoop down to us and cup our faces, so to speak, in his hands and lift us up. He is the lifter of our heads. He is the one when he sees us down and not bearing much fruit, he comes and he props us up and he lifts us up. Towards your new life. 
So who is Jesus? That's a question Pastor Gary has been answering in this series. Jesus is the I Am. He's been telling you exactly who this Son of God is from the perspective of Jesus himself. Jesus told everyone his purpose through his actions, but also through the descriptions of himself. And not only was Jesus all these things when he was on earth, he still is everyone. He's the shepherd, the light of the world, the resurrection and the life. The Son of God lives today, having redeemed the world and defeated death. Today, Jesus can be your savior too. Would you like to know more? Or are you ready to give your life to Christ? Please feel free to reach out to us by calling 703-771-1500. That's 703-771-1500. We also want to invite you to join us for church at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting each Sunday in person at 8.30 and 11.45, as well as on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to get all the information you need, along with directions to our campus. If you're not able to be with us in person, that's okay too. We do offer each service online as well. Again, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to connect. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in for Pastor Gary's message, and we hope you'll join us again to continue learning about Jesus. That's right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know